Hello, my Rebels. Today, I take you through an access to information request, 165 pages of inside the RCMP emails and chatter about one of the worst moments in the uh, Ottawa crackdown by police. You remember when those RCMP staying at the Chateau Laurier laughed and smirked at people getting smashed by horses and they loved the humiliation? This was all captured on a police WhatsApp group that was leaked. Well, we broke some of the news on that. And then we did an access to information request of what the police were saying internally. Well, we've got their internal notes, 165 pages of damage control. I'll take you through that today. Before I do, let me invite you to become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of this show. So it's a podcast, but with the viz. I think it's worth worth getting if you've got the time. Um, go to rebelnewsplus.com. Eight bucks a month, you get my show every day, plus weekly shows from four other folks over here. And the eight bucks a month might not sound like a lot of dough to you, but you know, it adds up for us. And we actually managed to cover a lot of our payroll just with that eight bucks a month. So please consider it. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, exclusive documents showing the RCMP's damage control operation when their riot cops were caught laughing at police brutality against the truckers. It's April 22nd, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. We've got some access to information documents, a Rebel News exclusive. Sheila Gunn-Reed broke the story earlier today, and I think it's important enough for me to talk about a second time. It's more than 100 pages of internal RCMP chatter, damage control really, when their officers were caught laughing and mocking peaceful protesters who were stomped on by riot horses. Just absolute cruelty, laughing at the public, dehumanizing the public. Really a gross, gross moment in RCMP history, discrediting the force. So we got access to information documents. And as you know, sometimes if you get important news on a Friday, sometimes it's best to hold that news until the next week. Because on a Friday afternoon, people are already starting to think of the weekend. They're not really focused on news and politics. It's one reason why politicians like to release bad news at Friday at 5 p.m., but I said to the team this morning, let's rush this news out today. Even though it's access to information documents, other news organizations may have put in the same access to information request at the same time we did, because it's such an obviously newsworthy story. Let's not wait, I said, because that happened to us once before. And so what we thought was an exclusive document was released to a second news agency on the same day, because they thought of the same question and we were both answered on the same time. So we don't want to be late. So there I was telling the team, rush to get this out today. But <laughs> now that I think about it, what a joke that is, because no other news agency is going to cover this. Even if they had these documents given to them, they wouldn't run the story. I mean, maybe our friends at True North would. Because... All the big media didn't cover the scandalous story in the first place when it happened. Why would they now cover the story of the internal RCMP cover-up two months later? And that's the second half of the story here. The first half is the culture within the RCMP, that they are highly partisan. They're political police now who will literally do anything their partisan masters tell them to do. They have no compunction enforcing Trudeau's martial law. They love it. They have no problem turning Ottawa into a police state, literally with 100 checkpoints across the city, arresting people for simply walking in the city, arresting peaceful protesters. That's super gross. And that happened. And then they were laughing when their own police uh, policing injured people. So if you're not covering that when it happened, why would you cover paperwork about that two months later? Uh, it was perhaps the worst moment in Canadian civil liberties history, certainly the worst since the 1970s War Measures Act. 
That was more than 50 years ago. I think it's perhaps the worst ever. Trudeau's brutal and cruel and unconstitutional invocation of a form of martial law in response to a completely peaceful protest by Canadian truckers and their supporters. It was a completely peaceful protest. Not a single person was charged, let alone convicted, of any violent act, big or small. Not a single weapon was found. It was so peaceful that Trudeau and his bought and paid for media had to gin up fake news to justify their martial law, claiming that an attempted arson in the city was done by the truckers. Makes no sense. It was a complete lie, but it was a lie that wasn't revealed until months later, a lie that saw the police, the politicians, and the media collude. But back to the original story, police brutality, just shocking. I mean, I hate to show you this again, but they literally shot our reporter Alexa in the leg. Just atrocious. So the police shot our journalists. We're suing them. But the media was fine with that. You'd think that Alexa being shot would, you know, at least make the news, even if in some weird way they would try and blame her or condemn her. No, just pretending it didn't happen. Just turn a blind eye. Here's the New York Times, the Bible for liberals. They had reporters in Ottawa. Breaking news. The police arrested demonstrators at gunpoint near the Parliament building in Ottawa in an effort to end the weeks-long protests. And in case you didn't believe them, there were plenty of photos of police pointing guns in the face of peaceful truckers. Uh, here's some that were compiled by Canada Land. Pretty shocking pictures, but the media party just couldn't process that. So they said it didn't happen. They, they lied. The New York Times' reporter was on the ground among, amongst the truckers. The media party in Canada in the main didn't dare go near the truckers. Yuck, right? Girl germs, cooties, whatever. But they said that uh, the New York Times was lying, even though they were there. Here's Carol Off of the CBC. Hey, New York Times, if you don't want to send reporters to the scene, then all you have to do is watch Canadian TV. Try a bit harder to get the story right. <laughs> That's the CBC. Um... Here's the Globe and Mail, same thing. They actually say, in my opinion, this requires a correction from the New York Times. On what basis do they assert that people were arrested at gunpoint? Armed police is not at gunpoint unless weapons were drawn and pointed at protesters, and this is both factually incorrect and dangerous to assert. Isn't it weird? The reporters who were not there were telling the reporter who was there to delete and correct and retract her actual reports, for which there was plenty of photographic evidence. I just showed you a few pictures. Not a lot of difference between what the media party reporters and Liberal Party MP said. Here's Mark Gerritsen. He says, tip for New York Times. Perhaps you should follow Ottawa police so you know what is actually going on. <laughs> and um, here's another Liberal MP. This is the house flipper from v uh, Vancouver. Ahem, not one shot by, fired by police. Well, she didn't say they were shot. A coordinated, peaceful, measured, and proportional response shown by police forces from across Canada in returning Ottawa to its citizens. Suggestion to the New York Times. Take this tweet down. It won't age well. Take this tweet down. He's a liberal MP, so he really means take this tweet down. He means for the tweet to be taken down. And if it's not taken down willingly, well, his government's plans are to force Twitter to take tweets down that they don't like in 24 hours or less or pay massive fines. It's weird to see police and politicians and Rival media all using identical language and speaking as a team, as a we, first-person plural, because they are a team. They're all on the same payroll, for one thing. It's weird that they're all demanding that a truth teller shut up. It's weird that they're a team about it. But it's notable that the truth teller was foreign, someone who didn't take cash from Trudeau's media bailout and someone who doesn't 
have to suck up to liberal MPs for their job. I think that's telling. It's so funny, though, that I mean, we've all seen the photographs of the guns drawn at the truckers, and yet all those liberal MPs and all those other reporters, their, their lies are still up there. But back to today's access to information story, our exclusive. Remember, the police went full Vladimir Putin, seizing bank accounts of political enemies, riot police arresting peaceful protesters. I mean, seriously, the kind of things we condemn Putin for doing, Trudeau did with the full support of the Canadian media party. But this moment here was just shocking. Remember this? Oh, come on through. Come on through. What is happening here? Wow. What is this lady doing? Traveling. Traveling horses. Struggling. Stop it. Stop it. They just trampled that lady. They just fully trampled that lady. They just fully trampled that lady. That's incredible to see, to to stomp on, to ride your horse right into civilians like that, to include someone in a wheelchair. I think the person was a wheelchair or a walker, a walker, sorry. Had to be rushed to the hospital. Just shocking. Uh, there was violence at the protest from the police. There were guns at the protest from the police. There were blockades by the police. There was a violation of human rights by the police. And that's when the big story leaked that we're talking about today. Remember this one? Story of police living the high life at the Chateau Laurier, the most luxury hotel, most luxurious hotel in all of Ottawa. And so these cops were there, and they set up this WhatsApp chat group uh, showing them living the high life of the Chateau Laurier. But amongst their bragging about how high off the hog they were living because of taxpayers, they were laughing at that lady who was stomped on by the horse, knocked over, bragging about how much pain they wanted to inflict on peaceful protesters, laughing at the protesters and talking about what they do to them, so abusive, so gross. And that's where our access to information document comes in. This was a national scandal, an international scandal, actually. Uh, I, uh, I did a thread of tweets on the subject that uh, was seen almost 5 million times um, a couple months ago. It was so atrocious, people were shocked. No one could defend it. No one tried. The most I heard was people simply trying to cope by uh, saying those are fake photos. No, they weren't. The, they were real, as the RCMP grudgingly admitted. So... What's so gross is that the Mounties, who were the most vicious, were the horsey ride Mounties. Sure, I mean, they do some real police work, but they're the PR side of the Mounties. They're the ones who are tasked with building strong relationships with people in the community. I guess those were the ones who really daydreamed about cracking some skulls instead of just making horses trot in a pretty way. This, so this was huge. And as we often do, we, we make an access to information request, and we just got it today, 165 pages to be precise. You can see the whole document for yourself under this video. We'll have a link to it. Um, we asked for the RCMP's internal communications about this matter. There were dozens of police um, involved uh, in discussing it, in the damage control. Uh, take a look here. There is discussion happening at senior levels on this at all ranks all the way up to the commissioner. They were all involved. Boy, they had a lot to say, 165 pages, but none of it was about how the police who engaged in abusive conduct and then condoned abusive conduct, none of it was about how stomping or shooting peaceful protesters was un-Canadian or contrary to the Mounties' traditions or even their laws and rules. None of it was even just about how evil it was for the police to rejoice in the pain and suffering of peaceful citizens who were brutalized, there's not a word about that. See for yourself, if you read the 165 pages, you'll see that they cared about only one thing, covering it up, getting reporters to not cover the story, downplaying the story, going through their social media pages and deleting past posts where those brutal Mounties were celebrated in some way as some sort of heroes. The whole thing was not about fixing the actual problems. It was about fixing the media perception of the problems. The RCMP were not sorry for what their police did. They were only sorry they got caught. Um, you can see here, for example, that they were riveted, obviously, uh, by obsessed 
with tracking what we at Rebel News were reporting on this subject. It's a, it's a bit creepy how much police resources are spent tracking Rebel News and me in particular. No wonder they shot Alexa. They hate us. They saw her close. They pulled the trigger. They're obsessed with us, just like Trudeau is. They know they're supposed to track us. They're supposed to do what their boss says. Look at the damage control. The first move was to pull down photos of those particular dirty cops uh, from any RCMP websites to people who couldn't, so people couldn't learn more about the bad apples in the force. They were literally purging names of the cruel cops. I'm talking about the ones who were laughing about hurting people. They were just pulling down any time they, they championed these people. Even this, take a look at this. What do people impacted by mental illness look like? Like all of us. Mental health affects us all. Join the conversation. They even ordered their social media team to delete a Bell Let's Talk mental health video because you can see there was one Mountie in the video there who engaged in this cruelty. If he had mental health issues, I feel bad for him and I wish him well. But if he's delighting in cruelty and cheering on police brutality and torture, maybe he's still got a few psychological issues left. Maybe deleting a video for bad PR isn't enough. Maybe he should be assessed on whether his personality and temperament are indeed a fit for the RCMP. You're giving that guy a gun? Yeah, not so sure about the wisdom of that, mate. But look at this. The spin doctor specifically wanted to cut out any suggestion of investigations of the officers involved from any of their statements. Stop and think about that. <clears throat> I've been talking about PR and spin and, and cover-ups, and I suppose that's what communication staff do. But what about the actual problem here? Cruel police breaking the law and abusing innocent peaceful protesters, and then other cruel police celebrating that, whipping each other up, humiliating the public. Isn't having rogue cops like this a bit of a ticking time bomb? I mean, shouldn't there be some sort of investigation? No, 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 not at all. And don't even say it. I mean, look, they were just following orders, right? Uh, they were just... Uh, well, frankly, they weren't saying anything that Justin Trudeau hadn't already said, right? I mean, should the police even tolerate these people? Oui, on va s'en sortir de cette pandémie par la vaccination. Puis on sait, on en connaît tous des gens qui sont en train d'hésiter un petit peu. On va continuer d'essayer de les convaincre. Mais il y a aussi des gens qui sont farouchement opposés à la vaccination. Qui sont extrémistes. Qui croient pas dans la science, qui sont souvent misogynes, souvent racistes aussi. C'est un, un, une petite, un petit groupe, mais qui prend de la place. Et là, il faut faire un choix en tant que leader, en tant que pays. Est-ce qu'on... Est-ce qu'on tolère ces gens-là ou est-ce qu'on dit, ben voyons, la plupart des gens, presque 80% des Québécois, ont fait ce qu'il fallait faire, se sont fait vacciner, on veut revenir à, 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 aux choses qu'on aime faire, c'est pas ces gens-là qui vont nous bloquer maintenant. In fact, the real victims here weren't the police, sorry, weren't the people who were shot, weren't the people who were stomped on, or tear gassed. You see, the real victims here were the police themselves. They're the victims. Twelve of the police said that they were, quote, feeling threatened, paranoid, and demonstrating anxiety-like symptomology because their cruelty was exposed to the public. Okay, I get it. So you stomp on people, you shoot people, you gas people. Then as a crew, you, you hang out at the Chateau Laurier and you, you laugh at people, you mock them, you threaten them some more. And when this is revealed to the public, when this is leaked at how cruel you are, you pose as the victims? You're the ones who need protection? <laughs> protection from whom? The unarmed peaceful protesters? You're the anxious ones? You know, maybe they really are mentally unstable and should be put on leave. If you lack the courage to investigate and prosecute these cops, well, how about play their game? I mean, if they really are unstable and anxious now, put them on some sort of long-term health leave. Whatever it takes to get these thugs out of the force. I mean, people, you have <laughs> no idea how bad it was for these cops. Oh, my God. For example, there was a Facebook page with insults, with insults. How dare the public respond with insults on Facebook? Can we get that censored? Now, there was one cop that they all thought should be investigated. The dirty rat who snitched on them and leaked these photos. 
This could suggest that a member of this chat is sending screenshots to. They want to know who's blowing the whistle. He should be punished, not the cruel ones, the one who blew the whistle. Now, the media team of the RCMP don't care about anything other than mopping this mess up. As they said, it's super bad. <laughs> now, let me pause for a moment. Um, is any of this news? Is anything in this access to information document news? Well, I sure think so. They say it's nuts. Maybe it is. Watching the RCMP race to delete any trace of their cops who cheered on police brutality, but refusing to investigate those same people, their obsession with the rebel news. I think that's a story. But it's the secondary story. The main story is what happened in the first place two months ago. But that's what all these documents are reacting to. That's what they're chattering about. The main story is the police abuses in Ottawa and then the police celebrating the abuses in the Chateau Laurier. That's the scariest part of this access to information document. 165 pages of media scans and damage control. And you know what is clear to me? The mainstream media is nowhere to be found. Not one story on the CBC to this day. I checked. To this day, the CBC has never done a story on that RCMP WhatsApp group cheering on police brutality from the luxury of the Chantelorier. The CBC hates cops most of the time. They love finding sexism or racism or violence in the police. They hate police brutality, except when it's in the service of Justin Trudeau and against those awful, awful truckers. Then the CBC likes police brutality. So not a single story by the CBC about that RCMP WhatsApp group. It, it literally had millions of views of Rebel News alone, millions, probably 10 million altogether. It was huge news. It was international news. The RCMP's own internal notes say it was international news. I think it's news, but not news enough for the CBC or any other Canadian bailout media to report on. If you sift through the 165 pages, you'll see me and Rebel News, and you'll see our alumnus, Kian Bextie, and you'll see our friends at True North, Andrew Lawton and Cosman Georgia. You'll even see uh, Rupa Subramania and give them credit. The National Post has her writing for them at least once a week. But that's it. The only mainstream media item I noticed in the 165 pages was CTV complaining about how the media were being treated by the truckers and demanding that the RCMP investigate the truckers. That's the only role CTV had. So if it were not for the independent media, this story would have gone nowhere. No one would have heard about it. It would have been as if it didn't happen. There was one inquiry by a mainstream journalist, an anti-trucker sort of emotional extremist named Justin Ling, who is occasionally published in newspapers as a freelancer. So he saw these horrific leaked WhatsApp pictures. But look at this. This was shut down overnight by an intermediate, sorry, by an immediate reply to Justin Ling. Thanks, Camille. <laughs> what? That's all it took? A quick and flattering phone call to Justin Ling to make him feel important and listened to? And he was happy to drop the story in return? He covered the story, all right, covered it with a pillow until it stopped breathing. They would have shut this story down completely if, we're, if it were only up to the media party. Trudeau's media, the bailout media, the official narrative media. I mean, the pesky New York Times reporting on the armed raids on truckers, and they were furious. And, and we and True North and a few others broke the cartel of silence here. You can read the entire access to information document on our website. You know, it's funny. Uh, this morning I told the team, let's get this so quick before anyone else does. Yeah, no, no one else, no one else will. They're on the other side. They're on the other team. They're on the government team. Now do you see why Trudeau is so obsessed with censoring it? Stay with us for more. Well, maybe it's because people have been cooped up for two years. Maybe it's because people haven't had a chance to talk back to two years. Um, or maybe it's because the man himself. But whatever the reason, Pierre Polyev, candidate for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada, is drawing enormous crowds. There was one crowd in the city of Calgary, which, granted, is a conservative city. 
there were over 6,000 people who came out to see him. And he's just an MP. He has not yet won the leadership. Now, he may well do that. But for 6,000 people, he's had crowds over 1,000 in many places. He sold out a brewery, event space in Toronto, the Steam Whistle Brewery. It was such an impressive night. The brewery was ashamed of being associated with him. So many people thought that they made him look great. They put out a statement distancing themselves from him, which was really bizarre. But that's what's happening. Pierre Polyev is, well, he looks like a threat. And whereas Maxime Bernier, the leader of the People's Party of Canada, could draw crowds, well, everyone knows the PPC does not have any seats in Parliament, including Bernier himself. So if someone who could be the next leader of the Conservative Party, who is already sitting uh, MP, is drawing thousands, of, cumulatively, tens of thousands of people, well, maybe he's a real threat. Well, look at this article in the National Post by our friend Rupa Supermania. The headline is, smearing Pierre Polyev because many of those at his rallies are white is racist itself. And you might think that's opposite, but that has been the agreed-upon counterpoint by the establishment meeting. And joining us now via Skype is our friend Rupa Subramania. Great to see you again, Rupa. It's so weird. I think that Pierre's wife is a visible minority, and I don't even want to make a fuss about it. I just, to say that he's a racist or, or they're not even saying that. They're just saying too many white people are there, which I don't even know what the point there is. You Like, are you saying a white person equals racism? You can't say that Pierre is racist. Pierre Polyam, I don't think he is. His wife, I think, is a visible minority. Um, it's just so, so lame. It's so many degrees of separation <laughs> from calling him racist. I guess that's the go-to line, though, isn't it? It's weird. It is because, you know, they've, they've been, um, you know, attacking him uh, you know, on various fronts. So they've been comparing him to Marine Le Pen, um, that he's a far-right white supremacist, and so on and so forth. But, you know, they, they always go, go to this old chestnut, um, as I like to call it, which is, you know, who are the people showing up at uh, Pierre's events? Uh, and I was struck by this one comment by journalist Stephen Marr, who tweeted, um, you know, it's a whole lot of white people. If I was Poilevre, I would be wondering why I'm only attracting white people. Yeah. And this reminded me of when the Freedom Convoy was in was in town in Ottawa, and that was the accusation that was made against them that these are mostly white people. These are white people's issues, and so they're not representative of uh, of um, of um, you know mainstream Canadian. Canadian opinion or what would be deemed as being acceptable. Um, and, and, and so, you know, the, uh, it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I don't even know why race even makes an appearance uh, when, you know, there's a lot that you can criticize uh, here. You know, you can, you can look at what Pierre has been saying. You can criticize some of its policies. There's, there's a lot there that one could, one could, one could uh, pick apart. But, but for some reason, the fact that the people showing up at his rallies are mostly white people uh, seems to be an issue for some, for some because, because for them, uh, if you don't have a certain diversity quotient at these events, uh, they're not seen as legitimate or acceptable. Uh, and that's unfortunate. Yeah, it's really weird. I mean, first of all, I don't know the stats for every place, but Canada is still a majority white country. Now, there it are is. some cities or regions where it's majority minority parts of Toronto, parts of Vancouver, et cetera. But, mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I just don't even think it's factually true that his events are uh, overwhelmingly white. I know he had an event on an Indian reserve. I know he had a, a Sikh event. He's doing events in a variety of places, and I yeah. I see a diversity. I, I think that uh, it, it's... I think it shows a lack of other things to throw at him. Exactly. Their, their attempt to compare him to Marine Le Pen, I can't think of any similarities uh, biographically, policy-wise. The issues in, in France are so different than the issues in Canada. I just try, I mean, other than just trying to be dramatic, yeah. Um, yeah. comparing him to Trump maybe feels old and ridiculous. Trump's a 70-something-year-old man with his 
who's, I think he's a very comedic guy and he's got an entertainer's flair. Pierre mm -hmm. is sort of the opposite. Pierre is very, I'm not going to say rehearsed, but he feels like he's very tightly scripted, very disciplined. What made Trump sort of fun and unpredictable was precisely the fact that you never know what you get with him. With, with mm -hmm. Pierre Polyev, you've been getting the same thing from him for 20 years. Just maybe that's why the Trump comparison doesn't work, or maybe because it looks just so laughable. But yeah. but you're a Marine Le Pen guy who gets white people to show out. Boy, that feels weak. It does, and that really speaks to the fact that they really have nothing uh, uh, substantial to say, really, because you know it's it's reaching at this point, and um, and 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 absolutely, you know, seventy percent of this country is white, and uh, and you know, and let's face it, you know, a lot of people um, that um, live in semi-urban and rural parts of Canada are mostly white. And I would say that um, that you know most most people who've been the losers from globalization and from you know where the pandemic has really hit hard, these are people who live in these areas and they happen to be mostly white. So if you know if they're showing up at his events because something you know because what he's saying resonates with them, what what is what is the crime in that? Yeah. Uh, you know why why is it why is it why is it such a big deal? And also, Ezra, you know, I'd like to say that, you know, a lot of people reacting to my piece and Mars piece, um, you know, tended to be very defensive. You know, I don't think white people should be defensive uh, of the fact that many that people showing up at these rallies are white. And I agree with you. Not all of these rallies are like this. Um, I, I think Pierre, um, you know, I suspect he has a wide appeal. Um, I think uh, people from various backgrounds across many different ethnic backgrounds probably support him. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I just don't think white people should be defensive. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking of one of the fun events that Pierre Polyev did was he was at a, um, a falafel uh, restaurant. Um, and he made a purchase using Bitcoin, and it was an Arab-owned restaurant, which a lot of, large Arab community in the greater Ottawa area, and it mm -hmm. was just sort of fun and natural, and they weren't emphasizing any ethnicity. The emphasis was actually on this really cool Bitcoin uh, app that lets you buy food in a restaurant with yeah. Bitcoin, and I don't know, I, did, I didn't... I didn't emphasize in my mind that it was an Arab restaurant. It, yeah. I thought, well, that's a Bitcoin thing. I just don't think that Pierre is animated by issues of race and culture as much. He's more an economics guy, a finance guy. He does have something to say about housing prices. Yeah. Um, and I think that is driven in part by immigration. But he's never really, like, he's always been on the dollars and cents side of things. And I think so he's... Like there are some more cultural warriors folks who might be a little more de divisive. I just haven't, and I've been following Pierre Polyev for 20 years. I just don't, that's just not him. I mean, yeah. Jason Kenney was a real cultural warrior and, and there are some in the party who are. I just don't think Pierre Polyev is. I, I think they're workshopping, they're trying out attack angles. Stephen Marr is famous for that. Uh, so far they, uh, they haven't found one yet. Yeah. See, w w what does it matter what color the people are, you know, who are coming to his rallies? That's the fundamental. That's my question. You know, yeah. why why does that matter to you? And I think there's this peculiar affirmative action idea that something is only acceptable. Something is only legitimate in Canada if minorities are over overrepresented. Um, but here's the thing. Our system doesn't work that way. Our system is one person, one vote. And it doesn't matter what the color of that person is, what their ethnicity is, what they had for breakfast. It just doesn't matter. Um, and I think um, Pierre is, you know, he's, he knows what he's doing. He, he, he has to maximize his odds of winning. That's how these leadership campaigns work. Um, and honestly, you know, this fixation on race, it's, it's, it's a kind of woke apartheid, you know, where we have to parse the demographic makeup of people showing up at these events to see to see if the support is legitimate. Yeah. And it's also a bit weird coming from Stephen Marr, who's so white, he's pink. I mean, uh, a, a lot of these critics, I mean, uh, if you look at the board of directors of half the media companies, and, and again, I don't have a problem with white people. I think I'm 
whiter. I'm, you know, I, I don't know if Jews are considered white, but uh, like if you're going to make that an issue, uh, it's typically people who themselves, if if they were really adamant in minority representation, they would have to quit because they're typically liberal white men. I don't know. I think part of it is that white people, straight people, you know, people who don't tick some box for affirmative action, I think some of them are just sort of getting a little tired of being demonized for no reason at all because they're not racist. They've done nothing right. It's like Rex Murphy when he defended yeah. Canada. He said, sure, there's problems, but no country in the world is more bend over backwards this multiculturalism, immigration, and the rage directed at him for saying these things, like it's it's a little crazy. And I think the reason that was a popular column for Rex is because of a lot of white guys and older white guys said, yeah, I have no beef with minorities. And why are you saying I'm a racist? And I'm sort of sick of, you know, I don't want to be superior to anyone, but neither do I want to be demonized. And I'm, I think that it's a sign that wokeness is overplayed at hand, its hand. I don't know. I think it's interesting. It'll be fascinating to see uh, if Pierre really does pull ahead as the front runner. He'll start to shift his campaign from running against Jean Charest and running against Patrick Brown towards running against Justin Trudeau. Like it may, it may get to the point where he's just all right. Let's skip to the end. It's a final battle between me and Trudeau. I don't right. think Trudeau's going to have the same luck going after Pierre Polyev, who's younger than Trudeau, who, mm -hmm. who's smarter, or at least better briefed on policy, who mm -hmm. hasn't uh, shown a lack of judgment in blackface or groping that reporter <laughs> Rose Knight. I think that Pierre Polyev um, could be the Trudeau beater. Last word to you, Rupa. I, I think so, too. I think uh, I think they fear him so much that uh, this is a sign of desperation that they have to resort to these kinds of attacks. Um, um, and, they uh, you know, his opponents really have um, his opponents within within the conservative party and and outside don't really have anything substantial to say. And this is what this is what they've uh, they're, they're reaching for, that he's a populist, that he's like Trump or, or that he represents the interests of white supremacists. And yeah. that's where we are. And but uh, but I think Pierre is um, is going to surprise us all. Yeah, well, I think he already is. And that's that's what's got these folks sort of spooked. Yeah. Well, listen, it's great to see you, Rupa. I, yeah. I always read your column in the National Post, and I look forward to every week. It's great to see you again. Have a good weekend, yeah. and keep keep your eye on this. I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, and, and getting back to the truckers, just a final thought. I think we have to credit the truckers for the defenestration of Aaron O'Toole. I don't think he was set to be turfed from the party until his mishandling of that sort of blew up. And the truckers allowed the party to have a renewal. And yep. Pierre Polyev, who I wished had run last time, stepped up. Who knows? Maybe those truckers not only inspired us back in February to stand up and be free, but maybe they set in motion a complicated chain of events that might actually lead to a to a different election result in a couple years. Very interesting times, and I look forward well, to talking to you about it. My first tweet reacting to the protests was that the protests are going to change the political landscape of Canada, and that's exactly what is happening right now. Yeah, you're so right. Rupa Subramania, keep it up. You're doing great. Nice to see you again. Thank you. Thank right you. On. Thanks, Ezra. My pleasure. All right, stay with us. Your letters to me next. Hey, welcome back. Your mail to me, Ghetto Trout 2011, says, I'm kind of blown away that Microsoft is taking any stance on this. The only fiscally responsible option to respond to this would be to shut off Canada entirely. That's a terrifying thought. Well, I got to tell you, I just skimmed the surface, scratched the surface in that document. And I haven't checked our website, but I think we posted the whole thing online. TikTok, Pinterest, Facebook, Google, YouTube, like every big social media company and some little ones had some very thoughtful and very well-researched and well-expressed responses. Lots of professors did too. Lots of legal aid organizations, including some that have been hibernating the last two years. You even had racial minority groups saying, hey, this could hurt us because of this. I mean, for example, let me give you an example. Um, and you can agree with it or not, but I'm going to give you an example of an objector 
there was a, a a lobby group for for prostitutes, a sex work something something group. I forget the name of it, and they said that this kind of preemptive takedown could target our people if they're talking about sexuality or whatever. And and the National Council of Canadian Muslims, I don't have a lot of time for them, but they were saying um, that this could target them as, uh, if it's overbroad, targeting them as terrorists. And then there were other groups. There was a a black advocacy group. And, And one of the arguments was, you know, there's some offensive words like the N word, that can be one of the most hurtful, hateful words around. But if it's used in another way, including by a black person, it can actually be sort of empowering and taking the word back. Same thing with a lot of gay uh, words. It can be used as an epithet against a gay person or it could be used like to, to, to come up with massive algorithms to ban certain words. It's dystopian, it's anti-free, but these groups I've just mentioned, they're saying this is going to hurt us. You're claiming you're going to help us, but your new anti-hate speech algorithms that have to be resolved in 24 hours, they're going to silence us. And it's true. Whatever your thoughts are on the different groups I've just listed, they're all against this censorship because they just think it's the dumbest thing they ever heard. It's it's really a remarkable document. Um and to see TikTok and Microsoft and Google and Twitter, I mean, TikTok was a little bit weak, but but there was some amazing stuff in there. And I think it was, it's quite um, remarkable that the government tried to hide these because it's so overwhelmingly negative. Uh, and they said, oh, we had some criticism. No, no, no. You were scorched. You were scorched. Yeah, if you have time, look through the document. H, a dragon girl, says, you are not boring us whatsoever. Thank you for showing us the reactions to Trudeau's ridiculous proposed legislation and antics. Thank you. And I, I knew I wasn't boring, but the thing is, how much of a lawyer's letter do you want to read? I just wanted to show you how interesting it was to see companies that I, I mean, I don't have a lot of time for these companies. I, I think many of them are monopolistic. Many of them are woke. But Twitter's especially, that was a bold, bold letter. And I think Twitter knows that it is the one that Trudeau hates the most. Um, I think it actually is the freest of the social media. And I credit Jack Dorsey for that. And look, if Elon Musk takes it over, it'll be even freer. Rob Charters says, funny, the mosque down the street was open 24-7 with lines up two blocks every day during the entire pandemic. Never saw the police show up. Well, I confirmed with Sheila that this church hunter-killer squad that Jason Kenney set up only went to churches. Didn't go to mosques or Jewish synagogues or Sikh temples. Just went to churches. That's so weird, especially given that Jason Kenney himself used to be such a Christian rights activist. It's crazy. Huh. What a week for news, eh? I'm sure next week will be even busier. That's it for now, but let me leave you with our video of the day by Lincoln J, who asked folks on the street, should Canada drop vaccine mandates for air travel? And Torontonians react to him. Until Monday, we'll keep watching our videos. We don't stop on the weekends. I just take a break on my show, but we keep pumping out the vids. I'll see you on Monday. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom, and here's Lincoln's vid. Lincoln J for Rebel News here in Kensington Market in downtown Toronto now with countries all across the world starting to lift their vaccine mandates for air travel. I want to know when is Canada going to lift their mandates? Are they going to lift the mandates? It just seems like Canada is a step behind of other countries when it comes to uh, lifting restrictions, easing mandates. We just saw Air New Zealand just uh, removed their mandate for air travel. So we're seeing all these countries slowly moving their mandates. Why is Canada not doing the same? I mean, right across the border in America, on the same land that I'm standing on right now, you can go on a plane, no vaccine requirements. Now, you don't even have to wear a mask on those planes. Yes, I understand things are starting to look better in Canada. Almost all the mask mandates are dropped. Almost all businesses are back to full capacity. But the reality is there's many Canadians who are not able to simply board a flight and leave this country. I mean, when you really start to look into the matter, you see that 
this might not make that much sense. I could literally get on a bus right now in Toronto, take it to Montreal, and they will not check my COVID-19 vaccination status at all. But if I were to try to take that same trip on a flight from Toronto to Montreal, I may not be allowed to board it depending on my vaccination status. So I'm here in Kensington Market. I want to find out what some of the people here in Toronto think about this. Is the government going to remove the mandates anytime soon? Just get their overall opinions and ask, does this make sense to them? Let's check it out. So right now you need two doses to get on, uh, two vaccine doses to get on a plane, right? Do you think the uh, Canadian federal government has any plans to lift that? W what are your thoughts on that situation? I don't think they have any plans to lift that. And uh, uh, I think COVID is still a very real concern. And I think that we're still in a very precarious situation. So I don't, I don't really think that the government has any plans to either of mandates. And as it stands, you know, requiring two COVID vaccines has been proven to, you know, reduce the effects of the COVID virus in a lot of cases. I think they do eventually. They're going to feel the pressure and they're going to lift it. Yeah. It's it's not going to change anytime soon, I think. You know, like they want to just give us a bit of freedom and then so that people just get it all excited and then soon it's going to just get back to like mess, you know. I don't think it's coming anytime soon. I think it's maybe going to be six months to another year until the, you know, this turns into an endemic, not a pandemic. So I think it's going to be like that for a while. Knowing Canada... It's one of the strictest um, uh, country with regards to the COVID laws. And uh, I don't think they're going to actually uh, ease the restrictions that quick. I don't know, but I do think that they might remove it soon, especially because um, I think the travel regulations have been changing quite quickly. Um, I definitely think it's a little taste of freedom, but what's the state right now? Can you travel if you're not vaxxed? No, you can't, right? So, I don't know. I want to be hopeful. Is it realistic? I don't know. Hopefully they have plans to scrap that shit, yo, because I pay a fuck with that, you know? But the government, like. <laughs> Why do you think that other countries are dealing with COVID in other ways? They're kind of moving uh, past it. Like, the U.S. just dropped their mask mandate, so you don't need a vaccine or a mask to get on a plane. Why is Canada taking a different approach? Healthcare system is very different down in the States than it is here. Honestly, I'm trying not to think about it too much. Uh, I just hope that we can make some better decisions. And ultimately, I think it's all of our faults because we've got to vote uh, better authorities into, I don't, you know, I'm not an anarchist by any means. I just think we have to vote uh, better decision makers into parliament. I can't tell you, I think that there are uh, political, uh, like we have an election coming up, which I think holds a lot of weight. Um, personally, I think masks should be allowed on planes or should still, the mask mandate should still be in effect on planes. Um, but I, I can't tell you. I have no idea actually, but I think it's a different style of governance. And uh, also, um, I don't know, I, I think Canadians or like the Canadian government is just so strict with laws and uh, don't see the other point of view of it. I have decided to not keep up with the news because it's no longer my interest. Uh, because it's been wishy-washy, right? Like when your source of information is not reliable, then it's it becomes difficult to keep track of what they're saying. Uh, the king government is just uh, an entity and there is something much deeper behind that. So I think they are just wording certain things from other entities that are actually the decisions makers. Trudeau has major stock investments in the VAX, so... That's that's the simple answer. I don't really know, yo. Like, uh, as long as I have my fucking vaccines, I'm good. You know, if the other people don't want to fucking take their vaccines, it's a fucking problem. You know, if you want to travel, take the fucking vaccines. Otherwise, shut the fuck up. So why are you able to go? So right now you can get on a bus in Toronto to Montreal, no vaccines, packed bus. But if you were trying to go on a flight, right, from Toronto to Montreal, same thing, packed. You need vaccines to go on the flight. Yeah. But if it was really dangerous like that, how come you're allowed to go on the bus, spread the virus, but you could, you can't go on the flight? You yeah, know? Right? Why, why is it like that? Yeah, it's stupid, yo. They have these fucking, like, uh, contradictory yeah. 
or contradictory or how Contra you say? contradictions right yeah, yeah all these fucking contradictions that uh, you know doesn't fucking make sense and uh, you know at the end you have to fucking follow the rules the system it's all about that shit right so you don't want to get in trouble just do what the fuck they are saying are you in favor of continuing the vaccine mandate for travel do you think it's a, an effective method yes, i do uh, how come because you're not you're limiting people coming in that are possibly bringing in you know covid so how come right now you could get on a bus from Toronto to Montreal, you can get on a bus, right? But if you were to try and go on a plane, you have to have a vaccine. But if the point is to stop the spread, if it's dangerous to get on a plane without a vaccine, why are they allowing human beings to pack buses that are unvaccinated, but they can't go on a plane and do that? Does that make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. No, I agree. It doesn't make sense. But the same with the subway, too. I was on the subway yesterday. It's packed in there and right up against other people. <laughs> My my response to that is that there should be some level of requirement to do the same on a bus because, like, we, if we're supposed to be trying to like curtail the spread of this virus and it has been out of control, then we should be willing to take more steps to like do that. There's there's blatant uh, hypocrisy in some of these decisions, and even with the streetcars uh, being packed, master on, master off, it's it's very confusing. Uh, and it's it's frankly hypocritical when there's one thing's okay and one thing's not. Even the bars you'll, you'll go to are, are packed and full of people. No, I think it's very difficult to make sense of a lot of the stuff that's going on right now. And I try not to think about it too much. Uh, just wake up, try and be grateful. And uh, like I said, make better decisions when we're voting people into power. That makes no sense to me. So I'm glad you're asking these questions so that someone can make sense of this. Yo, you know... I, I think I think that there's a money scheme behind all of this shit, you know, when they have the certain arrangements and, and, and the way they set this this, this uh, stage up, you know, I, I feel like I feel like the, the upper class people, them, them get to keep their, their private jets and private yachts and shit, you know. There's nothing else to say. It's like it makes no sense. Me coming, uh, I mean, I'm permanent resident, but like I could just travel if I want to and not having any vaccine because I'm a French citizen and then come back as a Canadian resident and they cannot refuse any of that. Do you personally think it's an effective method? What are your thoughts? Absolutely not. I'd love to see it lifted. I'd love to go travel and not have to worry about the nonsense. I think other countries are handling it in a much better manner. Nah, fuck the mandates don't work. <laughs> you know, they just trying to restrict the people and, and make people... They like have have less options and shit, you know, and keep keep them inside their yard, and like you know, try to fuck up the next generation. Psychological warfare. That's it. Canadian government is gonna drop the federal vaccine mandate for traveling. Not on my list. Sorry. Not on the list. The list. Go to our website at fight vaccinepassports.com if you can please make a donation to our legal fight against these unjust measures. 